Pubcast. Our modern lifestyle keeps us a lot in sympathetic, which is one of the reasons we get so much fatigue. And anyway, so then the third branch is our dorsal vagal. And think dorsal as in fin. Dorsal shuts us down when we have no other options, when we've had just too much of a heavy load. Welcome to the Liberated Healer Podcast, where we touch on a variety of topics in the world of spirituality, energetic healing, and everything in between and beyond. Take an adventure on a shooting star with your hosts, Gina and Linnea, offering their wisdom, guidance, and everlasting love and support. Hi, this is Gina Cavalier. This is the Liberated Healer Podcast. We're really excited to have C.J. Llewellyn on today in her book that we're going to be covering, this wonderful Chakras and the Vagus Nerve. Welcome. Hi. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, another wonderful Llewellyn publication. Yes. No relation, by the way. I was like, oh, I had to take your submission, of course. <laughs> no nepotism here. It's fun. <laughs> This is a beautifully written book. It's so easy to understand. I'm so excited about this because, and I wanted to ask you, obviously we've always had this nerve, but it hasn't been coming into the forefront as much as it has been right now. And do you know why that is or what, what was the shift? Well, I think, you know, I think the Zed guys that happened was um, you had with two major components. In regards to getting trauma information out to the general public, first of all, uh, Vanderkolt's book on The Body Keeps the Score was a national bestseller and it was very accessible and it was very much, uh, describing how we can't just talk about trauma. And, you know, he referenced a lot of the studies that he'd been doing over the last 30 years before he wrote that book. And the other thing was, uh, Stephen Porges, who is the one that really looked at and developed polyvagal theory and I've been working with it a lot over the years. So I think I got used to really truncating the information for my clients as I would work with them for the trauma, you know, in their trauma. So hopefully I can help you in that regard too, because polyvagal theory was not started as a trauma, uh, for the trauma world at all. Us trauma therapists kind of picked up on it and went, Oh my gosh, this is how we see our clients responding through their vagus nerve and through their, their, their central nervous system, uh, because that's where information is stored and, and, and hence trauma. Okay. So give us a little bit of background, just explaining the vagus nerve then and the chakras. Absolutely. So a lot of people grew up thinking it was sympathetic, parasympathetic in the nervous system and that somehow this long spindly cords in the body. So Stephen Porges, uh, really reshaped how the vagus nerve, which is part of the central nervous system. It's not all of the central nervous system. He started to break down this, the, the vagus nerve into three branches. And the primary uh, element of the vagus nerve is it is gauged in our system to keep us safe as humans. That's primary. We can't do anything else unless we're safe. So the three branches are in, in what you can see, I'm doing this backwards here, what you can see in the front of, I call her Sheila, is our ventral vagal activity. That's what I'm feeling a little bit right now with you laughing, smiling. We're looking at each other, all the nerves in our, in our ears, our eyes, our mouth, our throat into our heart. That is our safety nerve. 
And you hear a lot of people, I see a lot of people online going, activate your ventral or your vagus nerve. That's really what they're referring to is bringing yourself into the safety aspects of that nerve. Then you see sort of running down the spine, sympathetic. That's when we might be sitting here and is there a tiger coming into the room? Our, our body shift, right? We start being more aware. We start falling into that sympathetic branch that starts sending signals of we may not be safe. We might have to run. We might have to fight if we can't run. So sympathetic's not bad form of, of combat. And your body's saying, no, 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 no. We have to shut this down. So dorsal vagal helps us play possum when we are too stimulated over time. And that looks like a lot of different things. Wow. Those, those two that I just described, sort of a dissociative, dissociative state and, you know, that dis- description of what I've heard from a lot of people in combat. So say if you're, you've gotten into an accident or something's happening, um, you know how they say, I just passed out, I don't remember anything. Is that probably this section that just puts you down? Yes, absolutely. And so trauma, if you look at that from a really general perspective, trauma is things that happen to us that are out of the norm. Trauma are those things that were not expected and were, that were not safe. So it could be, you know, consistent over time as childhood, or like you're saying, uh, the single event trauma, right? We're in the car and we're, we're, our brain cannot absorb, our system cannot absorb exactly what's happening. And like you said, Sometimes people say, I just passed out. I don't remember. Absolutely. And that's our system trying to keep us safe. Yeah. Wow. It's so magical how it just works for us and protects us and how it does so many things. I have a lot of anxiety and I've been working with it for a lot of years. And it's how I got into the healing realm in the first place was to help myself. I know a lot of people have this and I actually can feel in my physical body as it's rising up. And um, tingling. And now I have tools where I can go back and say, okay, you know, you're just waking up. (laughs) There's nothing happening. And ground yourself. I do my own meditations. But would that probably be this biggest nerve? Yeah, it it could very well be. And there, there's probably some other layers to yeah. that, you know, and that as a therapist, I would explore that, you okay. know, in sessions, right? Where the, where does the anxiety come from? It has it been learned behavior, has it been early childhood trauma, et cetera, right? But yes, anxiety is our system on overload, thinking we're not safe. And then the brain gets included in that, right? Because the brain is talking up and down to the central nervous system. Um, Exactly what you're saying, meditation, um, any kind of tactile. I I don't know if you, I have a lot of stones behind me. (laughs) And there's a lot more over here in the, in the window. So, um, Holding on to stone, anything that can ground you in your body as you remind your body that you're safe. Yeah. Because really it comes down to safety. That's why we have anxiety because we're not feeling safe. We're either in the past or we're in the future, right? Yeah. Neither one of those is safe. <laughs> but the now is. Yeah. And you said in your book that this starts in the womb, basically. Well, you know, because our central nervous system starts to develop in the womb. And there, you know, there's all sorts of studies that indicate that the fetus, as it grows, as it's developing an awareness, they sense, they're sensing, they're, they, they hear their mother's voice, they hear their father's voice, they hear the voices of the people around them. I mean, I had that experience when my son was born 26 years ago. The minute he heard my voice, he went, oh, oh you know, wow. it was familiar. It's really cool. 
Um, so yeah, we're, we're starting to get our little wiring system put into place while we are still in utero. And then how does it connect to the chakras? So that's a real, that's the, the core of the book, right? The crux right. of the book. So I was starting to see, first of all, as I would do trauma work and I had, I do EMDR, I do internal family systems. I do some energy psychology, a sort yeah. of my, my body, mind modality. I would see whatever we were processing, lining up with whatever the aspects of the, what the chakras were in the body. So I started thinking, gosh, this is also really correlating with what's happening in their vagus nerve as we're processing down, you know, a target in the MDR. (laughs) One day I just looked at, I don't know if it was this, this picture of the vagus nerve. I went, oh my gosh, they're all lined up. They're all lined up and part of the vagus nerve that is subdiaphragmatic. You can see that large part behind me here, right? That large part that starts getting into nerves. Yes. That go, they run a little slower. They're not coated like the upper nerves are around our heart and our throat. Those are the ones that are sending out signals that have to do with potential danger. How many times do our systems, our stomachs get upset, right? When we're a little scared. Yeah. A lot of people who've had um, not even just major traumas will get their stomach going because the nerves are sending signals to those, you know, to the, to the digestive system, to the kidneys. And they're all lining up with the aspects of the chakras wow. that are lined up there. Try not to get too psychobabbly. Yeah. The lower chakras, the root, the sacral, and the solar plexus line up with the subdiaphragmatic aspect of the nerve. Those are our, I ca- I've been calling them essential chakras. I call them that in the book because um, I, I started to sort of break them down into those are our early attachment chakras. Those are those times when root, are we safe? Is our body safe? Is someone coming to feed me because I'm just an infant and I can't feed myself? Yes. Right? Yeah. And the the sacral is the attachment chakra. The am I safe with these people who are taking care of me? That also, think about it, that's the umbilical cord. You know, that's the the area we're attaching, right? That's our first attachment. Yeah. And then then up here, you can't say I'm really kind of touching uh, my solar plexus. That's how we start defining who we are in the world. That's how we start forming, um, I'm this person and I, I'm a first grader and I have to get good grades or I'm a first grader and I can't read. So I'm not going to, you know, start defining ourselves in our world through that based on these other two as well. These are the real, those are the, you know, those are the, speaking loosely here, those are the juicy chakras that as we get down into them. I know that I am helping people through those early attachment wounds when they start really feeling it here. Because so much of the memories are stored here. I've been trained in clairvoyant healings. And I I love talking to you about this because almost every single person that I would do healing on, we do always start with the first chakra. And it's just looking at the energy and helping them, you know, break it up and kind of call a new energy. That's all we're doing, right? But for some reason, Every, the first chakra, almost everybody who has, especially if they're not into doing healings very much for themselves, it was always a doozy. And I just got into the habit of telling everybody, especially females, 
The first one is going to just take a lot longer. The second one, and it's going to get slower and slower because we would go over the major ones. And by the time we got up to here, it would just be like a little bit more light, a little bit more. But that first two or three, yes, there was always gunk and it was always just like stuck energy or that's where resistance was. That's see, Yeah. Yeah. And, and taking a little diversion here, train, I'm training internal family systems therapy. So I see the parts, the really young parts, those exiles, those babies, they're really centered in this area and they're, you know, they're exiled. They've got some really strong parts in there. Just what you're saying is just an overlay, you know, they're not going to let loose very quickly because they remember not being safe. They remember not feeling safe with the attachment. They, Yeah. And think of the messaging we get. We yeah. can go off on that forever, especially when in bodies, right? Yeah. So then we start disconnecting from our body because we're told it's not good enough or we're registering that those lack of safety, that feeling of lack of safety is so uncomfortable we have to disconnect from it. So we're not leaning into it. We're pushing it away by all sorts of means. Overeating, yeah. drinking, sex, drugs, rock and roll, right? And that's what I was getting at is, so when you start to detach, that's where you get the maybe bulimia or because you're, you're detaching from your body and you're creating all these other things that wind up actually hurting your body more. Yes, exactly. And I will say too, um, I've worked with uh, in residential treatment with eating disorders. I will say people with bulimia, when we get down into those early childhood traumas as we're healing those, they have these urge to eat, right? So there's been this correlation really early on that, oh, this is this thing I'm feeling must be hunger, hunger but it's not. It's potentially attachment stuff you're feeling in the solar plexus. Wow. I know. Isn't this cool? I'm really interested in the EMDR, the eye movement desensitization and reprocessing uh, as a therapy. And sort of how long has it been around? Or, I mean, I really have a lot of questions about what that is. Okay. Well, I can totally geek out about that because it's a passion of mine as well. Because I, because I truly believe, and I was a talk therapist for years and, you know, I don't know how long now friend kept saying, you got to do EMDR, you got to do EMDR. What is this clearing out thing? <laughs> you know, I came into EMDR years ago as a major skeptic and walked away as a complete convert because we, because of everything we're talking about here, uh, we can't really clear trauma. We can't make new meaning of events or ourselves unless we clear it through our system. So EMDR, giving a little history, came, it was developed back in the 90s. Frankly, I think all the good juicy stuff was starting back in the 90s. <laughs> you know, you had, you had uh, uh, internal family systems starting to develop. You had EMDR. So EMDR was basically discovered uh, through Frenching Shapiro, who passed away a couple of years ago, when she realized, hey, I'm thinking through this really deep thing and my eyes are going back and forth. Isn't that REM sleep? Huh. You know, that's really how a lot of this stuff starts was, is more of an observation, right? And so she started working with vets because I believe, I hope I'm right about this. I think she was working for the VA at the time. So she started working with vets and she started developing what we call protocol around a, you know, you, you target a particular trauma 
And in the old days, it was moving your hand back and forth, follow my, follow yeah. my hand with your eyes. And it was releasing and it was releasing. And as it was releasing, it was also starting to make me mean. Huh. And sometimes these really suppressed, implicit memories were coming up like, oh, I don't remember this. But it was clearing out. So she, over time, developed a protocol. And like everything else, for a, a while, in the early days, people were like, oh, this was this is just woo-woo. And it's not. And EMDR is millions of clinicians around the world are getting or are trained in EMDR now because we are really seeing as Vanderkolt's book kind of put it out into the world, the body does keep the score. Got very emotional on that one. The body yeah. holds on to these memories. We're yes. totally dismissing the neck down as a major source of information for us. I love that it's the eyes too. It's almost like that, you know, the, the old saying, the eyes are the window of the soul. But this is even deeper than that. The eyes are telling the story that we don't even know that we remember anymore. Yeah. And so, again, I'm looking back. Right I'll get this right by the end of our, of our session here. Um, if you look up there, look yeah. at the amount of nerves around the eyes, the ears, the mouth right? Yes. That back and forth movement is all attached to the brain, which is sending signals down along the body and sending it back up. It's really cool during pro trauma processing because you can almost see the information coming and going uh, up and down. And so, yeah. And at first we thought, oh, it's just the eyes. Now we've got Stephen Forges's work indicating, no, it's you know, we've got this whole vagus nerve that's storing information. And of course, the vagus nerve also connects to the organ. The organs are not in my, my Sheila descriptor here. Yeah. Um, but it, they connect to the organs. So, so the heart indicates whether or not we're safe. The lungs, the, the liver, the, the intestines, it's all sending signals of safety. Um, and so EMDR doesn't include any other machines or anything. It literally is just a protocol. Well, in the, yeah, in the old days, it was just this. And then, of course, everybody said, well, I can't be doing this all session long, you know, because this starts becoming a shoulder issue. Although it is still really uh, a good way to kind of get in there when people are struggling. Then we had these devices where we could handhold tactile bilateral. Okay. Um, there is another device that you could look at that's like on a tripod. My partner has devised cordless EMDR uh, stone. You can now do telehealth. Because okay. that's where COVID took us, is to um, develop something that we could use while you and I are sitting halfway across the country from each other. And I could develop, you know, help you with your target, this particular trauma memory. And as we develop, you know, as we uh, process that, I can hold on to these stones and I can manage the intensity and the speed of them. So, so we're moving in that direction. Wonderful. Is this something that you just decide with the patient that this would help them and it's included in a session or it, and also is that something insurance would have to pay for or is it just something is included in, in a session? It's, it's part of a therapy session. Uh, people had that question for a long time, like, you know, 15 years ago, but it's not a separate modality now. So it's integrated. It's like a theory. You know, we as therapists, we come into our work having certain 
backgrounds, trainings, approaches, and this is a modality. And uh, yeah, so you can find an EMDR therapist and they'll just, they'll, they'll do the work with you. So what's happened through the years with EMDR 2, which is really cool, is people have started to use EMDR for things other than just trauma. Um, and then other techniques have developed that EMDR therapists, again, have observed. Brain spotting is one of them. I think I mentioned that in the book, too. There's protocols for performance. There's, perform- there's protocols for like a future, uh, future template, future vision of how I want things to be. So oh, wow. there's lots of different ways to use EMDR therapy in a session. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I have a quick question about pets. Do they have a vagus nerve and is it very similar to us? I, yes, they do. And I am a pet owner and I still have to figure out how to utilize that with them. I can tap with them. Do, they're not going to follow my hand. I, I have a little rescue and he's just super sensitive and he's not I just feel like he has a vagus nerve and it's like not silly. And I don't know why. I was just wondering. I'm sure they do. I mean, that would be an obvious thing. So um, he was a rescue. So he had some trauma. Yeah. He's a great example of um, because, yeah, they do. They have a vagus nerve, too. They have a system within them that's monitoring safety. If he had grown up, you know, as a puppy living in a sweet, loving environment where you got a lot of love and security, he wouldn't be so scared. Yeah. He's programmed now um, through his system, right, to not trust. He can be reprogrammed, so to speak, over time. But, but yeah. you know, no, we haven't. Better. I've honestly thought of that question a lot, Gina. I'm like, how do we do this for breath? Uh, I think he was taken from his mom way too young. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when people just take the puppy and they'll realize that they're setting that animal up for their lifetime of anxiousness. And in our world, in therapy world, they call that attachment. Um, I, I don't like the word disorders, but you yeah. know, attachment disorders, attachment struggles, right? It's exactly what it is. And yeah. animals have it too. And if they don't learn early on, I mean, there's so much to learn through the mother uh, yeah. about how to manage their central nervous system. And I'm going to go right into co-regulation. Can I do that? Yeah, that's great. So co-regulation, and I do mention this in the book, and it's huge. It's, it's a huge component of us being human. Co-regulation is two central nervous systems regulating each other. and. It can happen like now, you know, I'm really excited talking to you because it's something that I love and you're interested in it. So in a way, we're co-regulating. Okay. Um, We can do that with animals. Sometimes when people have been too hurt over their lifetime, people, they find that connection with animals and it is quite literally a co-regulation with another central nervous system. Mm -hmm. You know, when we're snuggly and we're lovey and we're, you know, our cats or our dogs or just like, or kids or spouses, you know, we're, we're co-regulating when we can be in that place together. My, my partner and I jokingly, he's a therapist too. We call it co-regging. <laughs> we co-reg right now. Um, yeah. You can co-reg with your dog. Yeah. And I do. I mean, because. When I recently went through kind of a dark night of the soul trauma, traumatic experience recently, um, my dogs were with me everywhere. And when I wake up in the middle of the night with some uh, panic attack or anxiety, I would just go, come here. And they know it too. They, they sense it. 
Yeah, and they're like, okay, you know, and they can shake it off a little easier than us humans, but that heart to heart, that warm body, that just calms the, it must be calming the vagus nerve. It is. You're getting yourself back into ventral vagal activity. You're getting yourself back into a feeling of safety. And if you think about it, I'm not a sociologist, maybe my next degree, <laughs> but you know, we, we didn't survive alone. We're mammals. We yeah. needed packs. We needed our tribes. And, you know, we, we sleep alone now in our modern society in our beds, but we used to huddle up together, right? Hundreds of years ago. So yeah. we were co-regulating. Of course, they didn't have all this language, but they knew it. They knew it intuitively. Yeah. And that's also, I think, what COVID uncovered is, you know, the loneliness that people had and the, the separate existence and you know we need to we need to care for our vagus nerve <laughs> we do seriously and you know some of the um the early approaches of cognitive behavioral therapy i don't know if you yeah. know that it's about you know noticing what you're thinking it's very it's very much aligned with buddhism and mindfulness noticing what you're thinking because if we're thinking oh i'm in danger oh i'm this i'm this it's sending signals of, of lack of safety down into our system and then yeah. of course we're no longer in our nice ventral vagal activity where we can you know i mean tapping we're getting into our sympathetic even though nothing's really going on nothing yeah. unsafe is really happening our thoughts are keeping us unsafe too sometimes yeah i know getting your book would be very helpful for people who want to as an individual learn about their own psychological makeup but I think people are very curious about that at this point, right? Do you have also any guidance on that? I always say that the the first thing to do is to really kind of be honest with yourself and to sort of reflect on, and because sometimes in therapy, I see people who may have had traumatic childhoods, but have decent relationships with their parents now. So it's very hard for them to sort of reflect on actually what occurred. And so it's hard for them to say, yeah. This, these things happen and I don't feel safe in my system. So being able to reflect and really see, okay, what was childhood like? Where my baseline, right, on safety in that regard um, is, is helpful. Um, it doesn't mean looking at yourself as a victim. It just means just being helpful about what might have happened. Being aware in that regard. Being present and honest. Just like we were talking about chucking in from the neck down. That is so huge. And the world seems to be going in this direction, thankfully, right? All sorts of modalities are coming out now, somatic, you know, modalities that we're really starting to know this is a messaging center and honoring. If there's trauma involved, you can go to a therapist, but some, not all therapists are trauma informed or have had that training. So it's, it's important if you really need to be doing some EMDR, you really need to be Looking at internal family systems on finding is beautiful too for, for trauma. Um, look for and ask for a trauma therapist. Ask them what their background is and in in their training in trauma, what are their modalities? And I know that, you know, when people ask that question, they don't really know. Um, but as therapists, we are trained to refer if this is out of our realm of training. So so that's a good place to start. Talking is important. But I think sometimes we can really, we're finding, studies are finding that talking about trauma, sometimes it always re-traumatizes us. Yes. That's part of the trauma work. It's, I was joking when I say, it's like you open the Pandora's box, it's a little and shut it. 
And <laughs> we work on this pace. Another little pace, shot it, work on that. So there's containment to it. There's pacing. Everybody's different. And luckily also, they're starting to give things that you can take at home. Oh, let this be, like you were saying, the newer modalities are coming in. Because I feel like what used to happen was you go into a session and then you open that Pandora's box and they're like, oh, time's up. And you go in yeah. your and you drive home. Right. Like, what? And you're like, you're in major sympathy. Or like, how was her day? You're like, that was fine. And then it's fine until I started talking to my therapist. It's the whole, you know, self-love, looking at yourself, doing self-reflection, understand, you know, committing to this journey and then finding what works for you. And that's the whole reason for this channel is to say, well, I need to talk or I need to try different things. And that you have such a calming voice. I can imagine like what a wonderful session would be with you though. I mean, and the good calming energy and it's so welcome in the world. You know, I just appreciate that. I appreciate you saying that. Thank you very much. <laughs> I do like to laugh with my my cl- my clients because I think laughter it engages the ventral vagal vagal activity right yeah it helps you feel safe in a room with somebody so laughter is definitely can be part of the therapeutic process yes and they have laughter meditation now I mean it's just so true like if you are feeling bad just just start to laugh you try to find something that makes you laugh and it'll help you get out of a, a bad situation pretty quickly yeah yes yeah. It's a good way to, to break up the tension. Yeah. And so when trauma gets stuck in the body, can you talk, we talked, we touched base on that, but I feel like people need to hear a little bit more on that because that is very, that's starting to open up for people where they're like, gosh, I have a constant pain in my neck or mm-hmm. I just, I've been stabbed in the middle of my back or, you know, a yes. little information on that for me would be great. So um, kind of going back to the beginning, our brain forms um, our realities through neurotransmitters, neuropathways, really simple process. But, you know, it's like our brain is like a computer making meaning in the world, too. And again, sending this down into our system. So how it gets stuck in our bodies, so much is sent through what is safe, maybe even where you might have gotten hit as a kid, right? Mm-hmm. Suddenly this becomes a, a place that uh, every time you're feeling uncertain or afraid flares up for you. That's, again, that going back to being aware of what's actually happening in your system. These are, these are ways to um, be curious and listen and actually befriend what's going on in the system. Even though there might be some stomach issues every time you think about paying your bills. Yeah, it's, a, it's information, right? Again, because the way I like to look at it is, um, I'm, I'm, I, love, I love me some analogies here. I like to refer to our system as almost like a self-driving car because the vehicles at this point can register if you're getting too close to a curb, register if you're getting too close to a car. It will start braking. You know, it starts really... Um, with its with its programming starts wiring how to move yeah. that's what our system will do over time because it's holding on to uh these memories these um these somatic responses you know the and it, it's it's just kind of fascinating because then what happens is sometimes it misreads those cues so if a self-driving vehicle's like 
you know, I don't know anything about cars that much, but if their wiring gets messed up, suddenly it's telling you you're not close to a curb, but you might be over the curb. Yeah, that's how our system uh, can get out of whack too. Again, holding on to what information is there. Uh, we might, um, you know, think that, I'm just throwing this out, curly redheaded guys are scary because you had a traumatic experience as a kid with one. Yeah. So you never go around because your system's saying, no, 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 not safe, not safe. Oh. You know, um, so it, it gets stuck and it's sending messages of safety throughout the whole system. But over time, depending upon what those cues of safety have been, it can misfire too. Is that making sense? Yeah. Is there anything we can do to be kind to our vagus nerve? Like key or grounding it or giving it good energy or like making a relationship with it and recognizing it's there or <laughs> I know that sounds well all the things all the things yes absolutely really, I've been learning to break it all the way down you know and start to start to be like oh I feel like you know, I've been working even like trying to decide where thoughts on the left side of the brain or the right side of the brain I can it's it's fascinating when you start to get into it and you know, and this being the largest nerve in our body is crazy that we haven't spent more time talking about it until now. Right. Which is, I think, why it's starting to burgeon. I mean, Porges's work over the last 30 years and the last 10 is really, it's gone from trauma therapists out into the world. And it's a good thing yeah. because it is time to look at our, our bodies as our compass, as our guidance, as our friend as our communi great communicator. Yeah. Because exactly like you said, our brain, we, we, we sometimes want things a certain way. And that, that's coming totally from the brain. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> I want it a certain way. I don't want this to happen. I want this to happen. Um, so everything you just mentioned is, is exactly what we need to do. Sometimes stretching. Major, um, way that I think is, is cool that we do all day long is walk or run. I, I, I love being on my bike, you know, that bilateral, it just, our vagus nerve, even though you're seeing it over here is, or over there, um, as a, um, side view, it's bilateral. That's a bilateral stimulation. So anything we can do to walk, anything we can do to get on the bike, anything hiking is moving both sides of that that nervous system as well and the brain by the way it's yeah the brain kind of shit walking has been you know the number one thing our body was meant to do and and i think this also is what's bringing in like depression i mean you tell me but that do live in cities and they they get out of the habit of doing any type of activity they focus all on work and and a lot of times when they focus all on work is because they're, they don't have self-love completely yet. So they're not like, oh, I need to go take care of myself right now. And that I'm talking about old Gina. You know, I thought I was doing so great because I worked 20 hours a day or 18 hours a day and I finished more projects than anybody. And then I was like lonely and sad. Work is societally affirming, especially yeah. in our Western culture. The more you work, the better you are. But that's beating, that is beating the root chakra. That's beating our, it, we need it, right? Because yeah cash is our bartering system but we have this tendency sometimes through fear to think it's the only thing that this yeah. is what's going to keep us safe yeah so that boils down to safety too doesn't it 
I love it. Thank you so much. You are so welcome. So you got the vagus nerve and the chakras down. I love the book, Chakras and the Vagus Nerve. Tap into the healing combination of the cell energy in your nervous system by Llewellyn Publications. Wonderful people, wonderful publishers. Thank you for all your work and your effort to bring us this wonderful information that people change their lives and heal themselves. You are so welcome, G-Man. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. So everybody, please like, share, and subscribe. And everything will be listed into the channel below uh, where to get a hold, where to get the book, or anything that you might need. Please let me know at Gina at theliberatedhealer.com. Thank you. All right. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find us online at theliberatedhealer.com, on Instagram at liberatedhealerpodcast, or on Facebook at The Liberated Healer. Give us a follow, subscribe, send us a message if you so feel, and thank you for your support. Yes. Yeah.